This is a Rooster Teeth production. Hi, Charles. Hello, John. <laughs> the new He-Man cartoon is an obvious, like, it's the latest installment in the, like, make old cartoons new for mm-hmm. a new audience. Yes. But He-Man isn't even a cartoon from my childhood, much less from your young-ass childhood. So, yeah. like... You know, it, we're, I'm, I'm happy to talk about it today, but let's get a little fun. And uh, if Netflix were to come to your door and be like, hey, here's money. Mm-hmm. What cartoon from your childhood can we reboot? What what obscure choice are you going to go with, Mr. Charles? Oh, goodness. So this isn't technically a cartoon. It's kind of sort of on the cusp because it was a lot of CGI. Have you ever seen Vampires? Vampires was a show from the mid 90s that was kind of Power Rangers and Beetleborgs like where it was a bunch of kids who were fighting vampire car aliens and they after being bitten um, by one of these creatures were able to turn into vehicles themselves uh, who had to drink um, gas before the sun came up and they turned back into people bring that shit back I can't Spell how how is the how is vampires spelled? I mean, so you know how vampires with an M turn that M into an N, and you've got vampires. Oh, vampires! Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. You uh, listen. If you have not watched vampires, you have not lived. I'm trying to Google it to find. Oh, it is. <laughs> oh yeah. yeah. Look at this show. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It's Whoa. a lot. Also, I'm pretty sure Gary Oldman is in it. Like as an uncredited role, it's Gary Oldman playing like a Zordon-like character. It's wild. It's, it's truly wild. It's got that reboot look to it mm-hmm. from mm-hmm. that early CGI, like Beast Wars reboot. Uh, oh my gosh, I'm gonna have to do some research on this. Uh, the, there, there's a man in the show whose name is Van Helsing. Oh yeah, that is, I'm pretty sure that is Gary Oldman and he plays himself. No, 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 no. <laughs> it, yeah, it does say, it says Van Helsing as himself, but that's clearly Gary Oldman. <laughs> we will have to have a, a conversation about this another time. Shall we get into the I'm show? I'm gonna have to find this. Um, <laughs> I had a boring answer. I was gonna say, let's remake Gargoyles. This is much better. I like this. <laughs> uh, okay, good. I'm excited to talk about cartoons. Let's go. Let's go. Welcome to The Real Canon, a pod about the genre pop culture we all live, breathe, and hope make happen in real time. I'm Charles Pulliam-Moore, writer and culture critic at io9. And I'm John Reisinger, content creator and producer for Roost Teeth Productions. Today, we're talking about Masters of the Universe Revelation. The first half of Masters of the Universe Revelation has hit Netflix and continued the story of the original He-Man cartoon into a new era. Even though this is a new show, it's doing a lot of really interesting things to finish He-Man's original arc with a deeper story about Eternia and its other heroes like Tila and Evelyn. Today, we're discussing how successful these first five episodes were, but first, we're rolling into cannon fodder with a troubling but important story that's been in the news this week. Yes, so uh, a suit has been made against Activision uh, Blizzard uh, in California pertaining to widespread harassment of women in mm-hmm. their company. And this is this might sound like a rerun because uh, these were accusations that were levied against the company, uh, I think about like three years ago. Yeah. And they said, okay, we got it. We'll fix it. Um, spoiler, they did not fix it. Um, 
and uh, a very large lawsuit has been levied against him, and there's been some pretty startling uh, uh, revelations being brought out as as like documents of this suit have been made public at this point. Um, yeah, you know, you were talking about how often stories like these can feel like they're reruns, but that is the nature of like systemic abuse. It's everywhere, yep. right? And it's prevalent. Um, this particular lawsuit detailed how multiple women um, experienced, you know, broad discrimination, um, some specific examples uh, being subjected to like groping, unwanted contact from their male colleagues, um, male colleagues frequently essentially like stalking around offices and commenting on female staffers' bodies. Um, aside from physical things like that, uh, you one of the accusations is the presence of a pretty prevalent uh, frat and bro culture in mm -hmm. which you know female colleagues were expected to do their duties in a professional manner while their male colleagues were not. Um, but... Uh, saying it's really hard to sort of explain how all of these things add up to create a work environment. Like that is what toxicity is when we're talking about it, right? Yeah. Um, it is the accumulative um, just weight of working in a space that feels as if um, it devalues you as um, a person, as a worker. Um, people don't respect your work. Um, and then the work that you do do is constantly torn down. Um, sort of, you know, underlining all of this is how this is not the first time that uh, claims like this about cultures within gaming offices have been in the headlines. And Activision Blizzard's response has been very sort of, you know, that patent. We're, we're, of course, we're of course uh, we are a great company for women to work at. Look at all the women that we have in our games. Um, right. We couldn't possibly put women in our games if we didn't love women. Um, <laughs> fundamentally, failing to understand that what this suit is about, and what many of the like the critics of the gaming industry in this regard um, are getting at, is the fact that there is a core element of hostility against women, um, just sort of flat out. Um, that manifests itself as sexual harassment and violence, a lack of opportunities and a lack of opportunities for growth within the industry. Um, and it's going to be, uh, I mean, it's going to be really interesting to see how this all plays out. But what's been really sort of disheartening to see is how many people have rushed to defend uh, the company um, mm. uh, amid this. It's, you know, there's lots of, oh, well, like, you know innocent until proven guilty. And it's like, well, no, the lawsuit has some pretty damning claims in it that wouldn't have been made. You know, the suit came after an investigation. And also it's the sheer volume. Right. This of... is not one person coming out. It's multiple yeah. people working from within multiple sections of uh, the company, um, speaking to different kinds of abuse that they all experienced um, that all tied back to the fact that they were women. Um, something that I feel like has definitely not been lost in the news cycle, but needs to be appreciated. Um, there's a whole chunk of this that's about how black women in particular were singled out uh, for just things that you would clearly understand as being an excessive sort of undue amount of burden, um, like, you know, being asked to log what they're doing on their vacations for, um, for their management, mm -hmm. um, being told to let people know when they're, you know, going to take a walk to go to lunch, um, things that could very easily be explained away as, oh, well, this is what, you know, working remotely needs to look like. But as we shift into the second year of everyone working from home, I think everyone's getting a much better sense of the ways in which management often uses the work from home thing as it can be used as an excuse to really harass people with this kind of micromanaging. Yeah, it's 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 double terrible in that uh, this whole thing in that uh, obviously there's just been an ongoing decades long struggle um, 
for just women in general to mm. be uh, considered uh, equals to their male counterparts in the counterparts in the workplace. But the gaming industry is has definitely not done a very good job throughout its entire history of making it clear that it is a welcome space for women as mm. either uh, participants or developers. And um, it's 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 a boys culture i don't think anybody can argue against that at this point as far as like who um has been running these uh these companies who has been directing these the majority of these like triple a games and while there's been you know progress being made with uh with again including women it's clearly still uh a problem if a company that is this big i mean blizzard activision is 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 not just some sort of independent uh game developer having some right. issues with their 30 person staff um like this is like this is like the marvel or dc of gaming world um and to have this like i said earlier sheer volume of complaints come through and diversity of complaints which is a terrible thing to say um uh come through this uh it really just show that like again yes innocent until proven guilty but when there's this much being levied against them it's like well it's probably a, a real case happening and often with these things with uh with harassment and uh, in the workplace um it's usually the top the tip of the iceberg compared to how many people have not you know come forth and made their uh complaints vocal about stuff exactly so, um i i echo you uh, i i i'm i'm interested to see how this turns out and i guess my if I'm going to have an optimistic hope, I hope it helps change that further fixes that uh, system and that um, world. That got that was that was that was that was dark. That was a dark cannon fodder. Hey, listen, sometimes um, the cannon isn't pretty. Sometimes the cannon isn't pretty. But let's talk about something that is pretty, a brand new shiny cartoon made by Kevin Smith. So masters of the universe revelation is yeah. the not a reboot it's the like continuation of the stories of he-man and all of his friends of eternia and uh, it's back <laughs> with five episodes now and then five episodes are going to be released later on yeah we we mentioned earlier that he-man was not really a part of either of our uh, our upbringings uh, what was your first he-man experience when did you first like become aware of he-man's like presence yeah, I I probably experienced He-Man through like a toy prior mm. to anything else. Like I, I probably somehow either saw a toy or found a toy at like a thrift store. Um, it definitely as some of the cable channels started, you know, being able to play reruns of stuff, you know, like yeah. Cartoon Network and and that kind of thing. Like I I watched some He-Man. Um, He-Man's more so just been like this pop culture character that I've always been aware of, but I've never been a expert or, or avid fan of yeah um it was the what same about you it's got to be even less than me right i mean it was kind of the sort of the same i um like i missed the initial run um by a few years and i do think that something <laughs> something that uh tends to get people in trouble when they bring it up sometimes is I strongly feel that there was a sharp shift in quality in terms of not quality, but let's say tone for the writing in children's programming. Um, and some of the ideas I was thinking about this earlier, thinking about uh, Beast Wars versus the G1 Transformers and how, you know, in the original Transformers, Megatron was just a gun, like a pistol. He, he turned into a giant flying pistol. And that was 
I guess terrifying for the children of the 80s, but as a 90s <laughs> but as a 90s kid who grew up watching Beast Wars, I'm like, no, 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 Megatron is a Tyrannosaurus Rex. I don't really know what this whole pistol right. nonsense is about. And by the time that I first I got my first like look at He-Man, it was all too beyond the pale for me. You know, the the loincloth and the I have the power. And I'm like, what is this? Like, honey, <laughs> what are you doing? Put on some clothes. You're going to get like that skeleton's going to kill you. It um, does at this point look like a joke of something else. It does. And, but and it's I think not. That, and it's just it's just a product of the the way that cartoons yeah. were made during that era. The Teenage Mutant yeah. Ninja Turtles are just a focus group turned into a cartoon. And, you know, it worked right. There is a lasting power in it. Yeah. Um, so I will say I my my first like in, like solid experience with He-Man was the He-Man laughing meme. I was like, what is that? Like, oh, what, yeah. Like, what, where is that from? And it's like, oh, that's He-Man. Um, OK, sure. That's I guess. Adam. It's actually it's actually Adam. Yeah. Prince and, Adam. It, and it was actually through uh, the She-Ra reboot that I kind of finally made some time to get a solid sense of like what He-Man was all about, who, you know, who his allies were um, just sort of in my in my hunger for more She-Ra content. Um, I went <laughs> I went slumming uh, for He-Man. Yeah, really. And, and, and I. Um, I, I, I can appreciate He-Man for what it was, right? Like as a cartoon that was based on a toy line, it's like, oh, brilliant. Yeah. Like that is, that is the, that is the goal for these companies. And it was very sort of effective at what it did, both in terms yeah. of establishing out this broad world of barbarian magicians with technology thrown in sometimes that's um, a very good way to describe them barbarian <laughs> magicians like ad advanced technology barbarian magicians that's yeah what he's a you know he's a he's a conan the barbarian analog with a little bit of barbarella thrown in and um and some mad max and some mad max <laughs> and i think what's really interesting about or rather i ended up finding interesting about revelation uh compared to the few episodes of the original series that i watched for this was like, oh, the tone of these is the same. Um, yes. Or not, I don't want to say, they're not even, it's not a one-to-one -one comparison, but watching the original He-Man cartoon and then watching Masters of the Universe Revelation, you can get that Kevin Smith and the rest of the creative team with this new show, they were trying to really create a spiritual successor, something that yeah. was not, you know, a direct mimicking of what came forward, of what came then, um, the way that I think about it in my mind, it's kind of like if He-Man had been running all along in the background, but it had been on pause, this is sort of mm -hmm. what it might have evolved into to sort of yeah. match the, the stylings and sensibilities of modern adult-ish cartoons. Because even though this, it looks grown up, it's still, a, it's, it's a He-Man cartoon. In yeah, it's it's still a He-Man cartoon, and and uh, you you can tell that there's lines in the show that are clearly like trying to bridge that gap of the language of the original show, and even just the the character tone of some of these these people, like the way that He-Man and Prince Adam talk, and and uh, you know even Orko and 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 Skeletor and everything like that. Um, but it's it's thankfully in my opinion not um just a nostalgia a slosh mm, yeah. um because it could have been i mean that that's that's the easy route is just to uh repeat stuff yeah and yeah you've got you've got that name brand on there people know who he-man is and so it's like they might at least check it out for there but thankfully like they didn't just do that well people know who he-man is and i think that because the masters of the universe branding just 
you know, has He-Man in it. Um, it kind of, this show, I felt kind of almost sort of could get away with what we might consider fan service otherwise, were it not for the fact that this is meant to be connected to the original thing, right? And so it's like, oh, you're, it's really just sort of like being matchy-match in that regard. But the show also really smartly understands that it can't get by on that alone, right? That mm-hmm. that He-Man, as much of a strong person as he is, as much of a strong character as he is, uh, at least in the minds of fans, uh, the weight of this franchise can't just be him. And it's that, that's something that you can see reflected in the existence of things like She-Ra, right? It's sort of like whatever, how much, however much love there is for the franchise out in the universe, um, it needs to shift a bit if it really wants to feel dynamic and not just like a rehashing of uh, what we've sort of experienced before. And I think that this show pretty quickly gets at that by, you know, Prince Adam and He-Man are here. They are very much in the forefront of the show. Um, and then it pretty quickly pushes them off to the side um, in a way that I think for, were this a, a proper He-Man show, it might feel a little bit, ooh, that's that's a, a weird choice. Um, mm-hmm. But as a continuation of this franchise, right? If we look at this as, it's not, it's not a third season to the original cartoon, but if it's, you know, a season of that cartoon in, in a sense, it's like, all right, well, we've seen a lot of He-Man, like a lot of He-Man. Um, mm-hmm. What if he sort of took a step to the side to make room for characters? Um, like Tila and Evelyn and Orko, um, not to replace him, but really to be given a level of prominence in the story that if it was just fan service, they might get like a cool posing moment, you know, where the camera spins around them all. And it's like, yeah, and us, we're here too. But this show is <laughs> like, no, no, no. Like, let's tell a story about them. Yeah, I, I, I remember watching this uh, a few weeks ago. Uh, I got the say a little early because we had a conversation with uh kevin smith a few weeks ago nice um which which is very interesting to have uh to talk about the show with but i remember watching it and i was already like i was somewhat excited about the show it looked pretty from the uh the like the previews um they had the same uh, animation team you know that did blood of zeus and castlevania which are quite talented at making gorgeous animation and because they were attached and because of the news that come out, I was like, oh, okay, this would be a little bit more grown up. Mature, mature is the word. Um, whereas the original He-Man couldn't show any violence because of the uh, the guidelines for all kids uh, right. television at the time. Um, so I was, I was looking forward to a little bit something more real and 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 and, and a little harsh. Um, but uh, quickly within watching a few episodes, I, I mean, my reaction was like, oh, I like this. Um, there's going to be a lot of people who are not going to like this because of the choices they made. <laughs> um, and sure enough, uh, if you look at the uh, like the reviews, uh, it's often right now that the the critics are, are kind of praising the show because of its choices to like really showcase Tila a lot um, and, and, and flesh out Eva Lynn's story and make this a lot more than just uh, the, 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 the half-naked man show. Um, but there's a, there's a fair amount of the audience that is, uh, kind of reviewing it poorly because of this. Um, yeah. I mean, I, there were things about this show that I was concerned were going to be the focuses of a lot of the criticism when it was first announced, right? Like, so looking back at a lot of the cartoons from the eighties, there are not a lot of black people in them, right? There, there just aren't any, um, because, you know, people on the creative teams thought to themselves, well, why, um, <laughs> you know, it they, really, cause they all looked around a room and they said, okay, we're all here. Yeah. We're all in the show. Like, okay. I cool. see you and you and you and you, and we're good. Um, <laughs> we're good. 
And uh, that is not the case here. There's a new character. What is her name? I want to call her Andra. Yeah, Andra. Andra, voiced by Tiffany Smith. Um, And she is sort of meant to be the audience's entryway character to this show. If you are unfamiliar with Masters of the Universe as a franchise, she's supposed to be, you know, your companion as the the newcomer to the group. Um, Yeah. She's a black girl. And whereas a lot of people in this world um, sort of their power rests in Eternia's magic, um, Andra, uh, very much like Tila, sort of has an affinity for using her mind. Um, you know, dealing with uh, technology more so uh, a little, which again is a part of this franchise. It's something mm-hmm. that also pops up in Shira, and I mean, as you know, as uh, I think that what really what really ends up working about Andra's characterization, aside from the fact that people sat down and thought to themselves, like, all right, what should this black girl look like? Like, let's make her look like a black girl, and let's actually give her a personality and things to do. Mm-hmm. All these truly revolutionary things to see in the animation space. Truly. Uh, um, but what really ends up making her fit into the story is how it really is about putting, or rather pushing He-Man to the side in order to give all of these characters who were always in the periphery and in the background a level of depth that truly did not seem to be a part of the original cartoon and kind of sort of only existed in everyone's minds who liked them. So as much as this show does have its moments where Andrew's like, hi, I'm Andrew from such and such. And it's very like, okay, okay. In a way, we've never really had all that much time to get to spend with characters like Man-at-Arms and Tila, right? Mm -hmm. Um, One of the first things that we see is how Tila is sort of in the running to become the new Um, Mm Man-at-Arms and how just that like that particular dynamic of the uh, like uh, Eternian power structure is something about this world that the other show never really had all that much time or interest in really digging into with any sort of substantial um, interest. And it's, it's, it's just really great to sort of see that be the theme for pretty much everyone. Yeah. They, they definitely spend a little bit more time and give a little bit more uh, uh evolution to a lot of the characters even some of the bad guys are like because because not only does he-man leave the the scene for a quite a while but skeletor is is gone for skeletor is in hell you know and it's like damn okay sure but then like like triclops kind of takes over and creates a weird tech cult and and, it, um, and and as as much as it does seem like oh well you're getting them out of the way again like we've seen He-Man and Skeletor knock each other over for over a hundred episodes, if we look at He-Man and the Masters of the Universe, um, if we look at this whole franchise as like an epic poem, at some point the great villain you know the hope of the universe and the great evil the scourge are going to clash and have some sort of climactic moment that mm-hmm. fundamentally changes um the the balance of power on the on the board right and this show is like yeah what if you know they clash and then they spoiler they die essentially yeah um, that's big and it's it's I feel, I feel weirdly enough like that's the sort of like that's the 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 end game pivot which you which sort of makes sense when you're engaging with the story that seems like you're getting you're just starting from the beginning and you're getting to the end in like a linear fashion whereas this is like a well we took a break for a few decades and now we're going to pick right back up towards the the third act or so well and that that choice also serves a really good uh purpose for setting stakes to this universe where in basically every other iteration of he-man you know there's the original cartoon there was a reboot cartoon in the 20s in the 2000s 
there was the uh the feature film in the 80s um he-man is you know always considered uh invulnerable uh will always win um in the cartoon no one ever got hurt because you weren't allowed to hurt people <laughs> um and so by doing some drastic things like killing characters or uh, uh removing them from the story or or changing them um it really does take this story and these characters out of this like this amber encasement where they're just locked in time and really you know kind of presents them in a way where it's like these characters um have past and futures and they these characters can change and even die and so like that i think stakes with characters especially in these like epics like these big epic battle um kind of stories like you need to know that they can't just stay around forever that if they go into battle or if they uh make a choice that something bad can and maybe will happen to them um i mean it's just how like game of thrones got popular it's like oh characters might die die. it's like oh (laughs) i think you know with a character like he-man um as much as we uh, poo-poo he-man like uh he's just like uh you know he's a bro character and there's not a lot to him um this show does revel in that, right? It definitely doesn't sort of try to take the piss out of He-Man and be like, oh, what an idiot. It's like, no, He-Man's cool, dude. Like, He-Man is that guy who you want to be or you want to be with. But I think that what this show understands is that in a larger-than-life character like He-Man, there is um, a utility and a real sort of importance in exploring the idea that vulnerability is a part of strength, Right. If the invulnerable person is truly human, like they can be hurt and it is good to sort of explore the ways in which that hurt is a real element of their lives that they might have to engage with. Um, Something that has truly delighted me um, as I've thought more about it. Um, Sarah Michelle Gellar um, voices Tila in this series Mm -hmm. and this series does deal with the idea of like what happens when heroes die and then they go to heaven and or hell um i know a similar set of ideas were very much a part of buffy the vampire slayer and in both of these shows i think that the gravity that death represents it's less about like oh you have been you know you've been felled you've been taken off the board it really is like you know you spent all of your life trying to be strong for other people and that's exactly what you did, right? Your strength wasn't about your like literal invulnerability, but rather like your unshakable resolve in wanting to do right by the other people yeah, who exist around you. Yeah. And not to, not to get too deep into what happens as the series goes on, but um, Prince Adam does get a chance to reflect on like, yeah, I was here man for a while. And I did a great fucking job at it. Right. And now it's my time to like rest. And I think that that's also a really important idea to present with a character like E-Man. Yeah. They have this really interesting kind of avatar, the last airbender moment where he's kind of like met with his predecessors of the, um, the, the guardian of castle Grayskull. Mm. Um, and yeah, he, he really like wrestles with, uh, you know how much he has done and how much he could have done if he hadn't you know been felled by skeletor um but it 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 that also creates a, a great uh ability a, a great moment for even tila and prince adam to have these uh these vulnerable moments with each other because a lot of tila's story throughout this first half is about her grappling with uh prince adam's you know 
duplicity in not ever telling her that he was he-man can i tell you um, so as someone who did not watch a lot a lot a lot of he-man when they whipped out the whole oh i don't know who he-man is thing i'm like at this late stage in the game we're still th- this is what we're doing um yeah <laughs> well it's even sillier with the original cartoon because in order to save money the toys were the exact same, the exact model, same. Just, just, and at least in this like, he goes from being like a twink to like a roid raging muscle head and yeah <laughs> he gets the shazam experience yeah, but, yeah 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 uh so that like at least you're like yeah i could totally see like looking at this 14 year old be like well you're not he-man obviously uh but yeah, you would think after like, I don't know how many episodes the original show got, it got a lot. It um, was 130 seasons. episodes. And I get that, like, perhaps the episode's sense of time was never really well established. But in this series, Tila is, um, she's competent, she's capable, she's efficient, she's super smart, she's, you know, she's strong. She's on top of her game in a way that makes it um, obvious that she should be Adam's successor, not necessarily yeah. as He-Man, but sort of like as the new defender, um, yeah. who's sort of rallying uh, Eternia's heroes. Um, and it's like, oh, I, and I totally buy it. But like, sis, you didn't realize that He-Man and Prince Adam were never in the same room at the same time. That never seemed odd to you in, in, in the midst of a war against a talking skeleton. Like this, the <laughs> prince of the prince has disappeared. All of okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean it. He he had to have had had a lot of help from everybody else who knew he was He Man, um, you know, to cover it up. Similar to like how Superman slowly gets more and more help, or even Spider Man's even better. Spider Man gets more and more help from people like knowing who he is, covering it up. Um, but it does kind of uh make a very real and tangible moment of betrayal when she realizes it, because then it really does bring to light. It's like, she should have known. He should have told her. Like, <laughs> she shouldn't have even had to have found it out. Like, like this woman's been, like, fighting alongside you. Just just tell her. And so it does make this great betrayal that, um, you know, changes Tila's story. And they do kind of a of a, of a time jump into Tila being uh, no longer, you know, part of the guard or man-at-arms and uh, not really being down with uh, the 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 he-man world anymore yeah uh but yeah you do feel her betrayal it hurts it's uh, weirdly enough as <laughs> as 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 tepid as my feelings were about the show going into it i was very pleased to get like a little smack of that steam it like that steven universe in the show with the the secret holding um because i do think that that's a sort of that's a really good example of a characterization of adam that goes against his general heroic you know um admirable framing it's like not what yeah. you, what you did in lying to your friend like that was really messed up and a violent not a violation of trust but really sort of an omission that is the kind of thing that you don't see as a heroic act it's not really the kind of way that people should interact with one another and that's something that both he and tila have to sort of sit with in their you know in their relationship yeah well she even has to deal with it with her uh father-like figure man at arms who yeah. also knew and never told her and so that's their own uh but you know issue to grapple with um uh and, and man at arms is, is, is also another character i never batted an eyelash uh in previous iterations of the show but they really did a good job of kind of creating this in the moment lore of man at arms being the most dangerous man ever and not just like saying it but showing how he he really is you know there's a reason why he's he has that role 
Uh, I mean, and the whole character is, is voiced quite well by Liam Cunningham. Uh, talk about Game of Thrones. Um, the, the cast in general is is quite uh, star-studded. So, it, like, it, let's know. talk about this cast for a hot second. So, um, we have Lena Headey as Evil Lynn, uh, the most inspired naming in this entire show, um, <laughs> playing a very uh, patented Lena Headey character, dry, English, over it. Magical. A little upset. A little yeah. upset. Probably drinking when the camera's not there. <laughs> <laughs> um, and while this was very much, it's very much came across like, ah, oh, it's Lena Headey doing the Lena Headey thing. Um, it was a really, a really fascinating just like expansion of Evelyn as a character outside of, yeah. um, outside of her relationship with Skeletor. I think this is a classic example of like, oh, Starscream becomes way more compelling when he's not around um, uh, Megatron. Um, I mean, it's, it's the Harley Quinn effect. Exactly. Yeah. And in this, it's, 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 it's not really spelled out quite as explicitly, but there are a number of conversations that Evelyn has with Orko. Um, about their respective relationships to magic throughout the series. Orko is still very much the comic relief. And even though he's been through all of these adventures with uh, the fellow masters of the universe, he's still not really all that good at at magic. Mm -hmm. You know, he, he does a spell that backfires. He's, he conjures the magnifying glass and burns things up. Um, And Evelyn is an accomplice sorceress who's, who's just very, you know, over this little gremlin person, but they do have a really sort of heartfelt conversation about their respective relationships with magic and how Evelyn has always seen her magic as not just uh, a form of power that she can wield over people to hurt them or make them do what she wants. It is an expression of like herself. Um, it is, you know, uh, a piece of herself that she's able to manifest outwards in ways that mm-hmm. don't necessarily have to be destructive, but because of her life, because of the people that she's been surrounded by circumstance has necessitated her to slap evil on, on the front of her name and summon things from the dead. And she's like, wouldn't it be great if I just made a bird of light instead? And it's like, that's the kind of, that's the kind of character turn that if I were a hardcore He-Man fan, I would have been delighted to see because um, it definitely doesn't just feel like the precursor to her being like, aha, I was a double agent the whole time. It really does feel like after all these ass whoopings that He-Man and Tila and the Masters of the Universe have doled out over the years, she's finally been like, you know what? I'm done. Let me just do my magics in peace, please. Yeah, I definitely, upon hearing that she was going to be uh, voicing the role, I, 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 it, because the character just never really was developed a ton, it just felt like okay, yeah. Lena's got that voice and that tone to be she does, the big evil kind of thing, and this all fits with Lena Headey. But weirdly enough, I kept coming. The idea kept popping into my head that both Tila and Evelyn's characterizations in this show are not entirely similar, but similar enough to 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 beg a little bit of discussion to their characterizations in the Masters of the Universe movie from the 80s. Um, mm. Another story where once He-Man is introduced and he does his thing and swings his sword around, but doesn't stab anybody with it. He uses a gun in the movie. Um, he's He does. <laughs> I forgot he does. You know, he's uh, he is quickly sort of shuttled off to the side and the movie really does become about 
the human surrogates um, and Evelyn, who is chasing after them. Um, yeah. And it's Evelyn and Tila who sort of end up really... It's Evelyn, Tila, and Skeletor who end up really stealing that movie because they have the most... Um, they bring the most of Eternia to the movie in a weird way, even yeah. though we don't see all that much of the planet. Everything about them from their style of dress to the way that they talk and their fixation on this cosmic key, it just like oozes Eternia in a way that almost redeems the movie, which is terrible. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're trying. that? All, the, I said the, almost, almost. It almost. It's the, yeah, like... The movie has its has its hurdles to to to, to get over. A lot of which being uh, Dolph Lundgren's uh, less than you know masterful ability to to um, speak his lines well. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, I don't I don't want to I don't want to bag on the guy. I mean, like it's like he's he's speaking a language that's not his na- native language. That's just that's that's just fucking hard. Yeah, and he was not a native English speaker, and he was not. He was having a difficult time with it, and he did not get a chance to redub. And so they let him listen. They they got what was workable, and then cut a lot, and then had an awful lot, an awful lot of Skeletor sitting in a room, and Evelyn walking around parking lots uh, looking for teens and. <laughs> That that's just what that was. She she is such a fun character though to see fleshed out more and like uh get to you know see her not just like stand next to Skeletor who's cackling and screaming about his schemes. Um, but anyway, I, I said it, it's like it's very much much like Harley Quinn. Harley Quinn becomes so much more interesting when she's not just talking about how she loves Mister J. Um, and I think that's I I I applaud the team Kevin and his team for um taking that route um and even like i i know in talking with him like he worked in conjunction with like the people who own he-man you know mattel and these these people who who are the caretakers of this brand and um i think it's i I, i'm glad that they didn't just like demand to stay to like the source material to like a t and you know allowed a bit of a you know modernization development to have these characters like Evelyn and Tila um, flower a bit. And even to add a character like Andra, um, I mean, Andra's not even the, the first, the only change they, did you know this? I, I had to look back. Um, uh, Grayskull, the dude, King Grayskull, who yeah. they meet. Um, he's just another plain white dude in the original. Um, they gave him a little bit of a, of a, of a, uh, skin shift for this i think excuse in hopes to, to me a little more. skin shift this man is portrayed by one dennis haysbert the the sultry tones of dennis haysbert um america's president from 24 and the state farm insurance whatever yeah state farm's <laughs> insurance guy <laughs> <laughs> and i remember I, I i was looking at my phone and i heard his voice and was like hello what's going on um yeah but but they're, they're, they take they they take several steps like that to to kind of try to pull this you know uh thing from the 80s that is very 80s and try to make it live in 2021 they don't go as far as she-ra the she-ra reboot was a reboot you know it yeah, was yeah it was it was taking these characters and creating something brand new and this is a continuation but uh it's i think it's one of the best continuations that have been out there because they didn't they didn't just you know go for the low-hanging fruit speaking Um, they took a they took a risk yeah and i mean like we're talking about this specific show here which um is doing a little bit of updating to be with the times but also keeping in 
line with its original story. This probably is not what we know. This is not going to be the only new He-Man story. Um, Mm. I'm not exactly aware of how many projects that are going on, but there's that one thing that Noah Centennial was attached to be a part of as like a live action He-Man. I have no idea how that's going to work out. And I believe that there's another series that's more aimed at children that's coming on. And I think that ultimately what this show might really end up uh, doing and being able to add to the future of the franchise is laying the groundwork for a broader range of kinds of representation in the He-Man franchise. Um, You know, like you were saying, She-Ra is like, hey, listen, so the next time you decide to do more She-Ra, whether it's this particular story or something She-Ra adjacent that brushes up against, He-Man has some sort of direct connections to it. Um, Bo can be black. Bo can have two fathers. Adora Mm -hmm. can be a queer woman. Catra can be a queer woman. And Mm -hmm. in that same vein, He-Man is like, all right, uh, whatever the next incarnation of He-Man and the Masters of the Universe is, um, Tila does not just have to be... um, He-Man's backup, right? Slash semi-romantic interest. Uh, Black characters like Andra and um, like King Grayskull can be a vital part of this lore and this story in the present day. And I think that's how you, if anything, this is sort of like a waypoint, but you know, before the the big return of He-Man, because at the end of the day, if this show is going to appeal to like straight up newcomers, I don't know. Um, I think coming into this blind the show definitely tries to get you on board and get you caught up with everything but i don't know how successful it's a lot it's a lot it's a lot it definitely is i i felt uh uh, lucky in that in order to have that conversation i talked about with kevin smith i didn't want to go in being an idiot knowing nothing about like the actual workings of he-man so i did some homework like you said you watched like some of the early episodes i did as well i even checked out some of the 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 uh, 2000 reboot just to see how that was and I watched the movie um, I would be curious what it'd be like for anybody who just knows nothing to try to plug in if they can enjoy it I hope they can um, the the show is, genuinely is is a great addition to this trend that I know there's some sensitive little um, people that uh, don't like where we are <sighs> I'll you know, just say it we're fixing um, some of the mistakes of old things that we had and uh you know still having fun with them and 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 you know showing them in new ways and and in modern uh techniques but you know we can look at you know how something wasn't quite as uh inclusive as it should be and or or as well representative of the individuals or or the people groups as it should be and you can fix it. i mean invincible was another great example where uh in the original comic the mom's a terrible character and it's it it really does portray her as just this dumb alcoholic uh mopey character but the amazon series decided to make her something a bit more formidable yeah yeah um, and like the mom like the mom is like she's emblematic of how a lot of invincible the comic had weird feelings about women like weird and kind of like sexist basic like basic ideas about women yeah um and the show is like all right well um women are people shocker um let's write them as such and the show is better for it and i think that if you when you step out of the the blinding gaze of um of the canon sometimes you can see like oh this thing could be better it could and it should be and it makes you know it that much easier to enjoy it yeah 
yeah i i i look forward to the the next five episodes i know that the the first five uh ends on a bit of a cliffhanger big old reveal at the end um and uh i'm i'm excited about watching the next next ones um did you when you were watching it this is just my own amusing i i i read lena's portrayal of evil lynn as queer right I mean, maybe. I felt like she's like that, but the like the the bisexual woman who's uh who feels like she just has to stick with the dude because it's easier. But really, like if 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 Skeletor had stayed away, she might have found a nice uh you know little magical woman to go and 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 open a shop together. I feel like selling their wares. I feel like Evelyn is one of the few people in Eternia who regularly bathes because she can conjure water. (laughs) And that for her is pretty much like that's the barrier. It's like, do you have running water in your domicile? No. No thank you. And until (laughs) and until that really sort of becomes a fixture in Eternian society, she's perfectly content to just have her and her magic staff full of magic (laughs) and that just be it. But I I I I could see I will say this is we've only seen the first five episodes. Um and I could definitely see an I I have not felt that with her, but if the show were to be like, ooh, and Evelyn has been harboring feelings for, I could see that plot coming up. But if anybody, it would probably be Orko. But Orko, does Orko have a gender? I'm not sure. I don't know. That's a good question. He's, he's another race. I could totally see uh, a, your, your typical uh, big girlfriend, small boyfriend pairing between the two of them. <laughs> <laughs> I do. Okay. I like that too. I do like that Which too. is not to say that she couldn't be queer, right? Don't know. Yeah. But I feel like if anyone is going to, if anybody's going to link up in this, I want it to be Orko and Evelyn. <laughs> that would be good. That would be a good, like, just bring it all back around and the two magics find each other. Yeah. Okay, well, shall we send this off? I believe we should. That brings this episode to a close, and with it, some sad news about the future of the show. Um, While we have both enjoyed making this podcast for you all of these past seven months, uh, this is unfortunately going to be the last episode of The Real Canon, for now. And even though this is the end of the show and everything, I wanted to make sure to say a special thank you to you guys, our audience and listeners who have joined us all this time for some of genuinely my favorite conversations ever um, that I've ever had about the media and the pop culture and the shows and games and all that stuff that we're experiencing together. I do hope that uh, this show has connected with uh, some of you in some way and that you do continue to have these conversations that Charles and I have been having um, uh, here on the show about canon and fandom and inclusivity and and all that kind of stuff with the people in your life that share these same interests. Uh, yeah, we started this show in the middle of the pandemic to create a space where we could have the kinds of conversations that we missed um, just sort of stumbling into at Comic-Cons. Um, the kind where you could chew over the canon of movies, shows, and books, uh, but also really just get into all the, the weird and not always fully thought out ideas just bouncing around in our heads. Um, the show has been that and more, and I really hope that going forward, everyone who's been listening uh, takes some of the energy that we put into the real canon into their own conversations and really helps keep uh, the canon growing. Yeah. So thank you very much. Thank you so we'll much. See you later. Bye, guys. Bye.